Thank you for tuning in to the 170th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Going to have a great show for you all today. Going to have Jeff Magliocetti on the show. He covers the New York Jets for Elite Sports New York. We have a very interesting conversation. Uh, he, t- he explains how... Who should be favored in the AFC East this year with uh, the departure of Tom Brady? Is it the Patriots? Is it the Bills? He talks about the Jets, the Dolphins as well. And also he goes into who is the real New York team, and you will all find that interesting what he said. Now, again, I want to say I hope everybody's staying safe with what's going on in the country right now, and I uh, hope everybody is uh, doing all the right things with Corona and social distancing as well. And hope you all enjoy this podcast. Now, where I want to start is this. So Lamar Jackson, it was just announced, is going to be on the cover of Madden 21. For those of you who don't know, Madden is the football video game. Last year, the cover was Patrick Mahomes. The year before that, it was Tom Brady. And I think the most interesting thing about Lamar Jackson and the whole Lamar Jackson experience is how long is this going to last? Because... There's been a lot of debate. Can running quarterbacks succeed long-term, right? And I would say this. I would say if we're looking at a window, Lamar is 23 right now. He probably has a peak till 23, 24, 25, maybe 26, where every time he steps on the football field, and let's take out injuries out of the question, he will be the best athlete by a decent margin. So he has about three to four years to where he can play the style he is now without a hitch, without a hiccup, where it will be fine and Baltimore can run him 20 times a game if they need to, and it will be success, and he doesn't really have to worry about getting tagged, right, getting hit. But really what I think is interesting is once he gets out of that peak where he has this twitchy, fast twitch muscle fiber uh, speed in him that he's able to elude defenders and, uh, make a lot of people look silly right on the football field, how is he going to evolve? Because a lot of quarterbacks, we're saying quarterbacks, they're playing better, older, more than they ever have, right? Tom Brady's 41, and Tom Brady is, some would say, still top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Drew Brees is still one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL at his advanced age. Hell, Phillip Rivers just got a new job, and Phillip Rivers is up there in age as well. Guys like Ben Roethlisberger are going to start this upcoming NFL season. And we've even seen a guy like Brady who is playing better. He's better than he was 2010 and on than he was 2000 to 2010 when he won his first three Super Bowls with New England. He was better when he was in his 30s, right? Tom Brady was better when he was in his 30s. You don't see that a lot of times in athletics, but... Brady's kind of done that, so I think it's really interesting to see when Lamar is out of that peak physical form, how is he going to look? Because there's a lot of flashes, right? Robert Griffin III was a flash. Really good for about a year. And then what happens? 
he gets tagged, he gets hurt. How does that look? I think the interesting part about the Lamar Jackson experience will be how long does this last? And if it doesn't last, why is the reason he can't evolve? Because, hate to break it to everybody out there, Lamar can't keep doing this six to seven years from now. (laughs) You can't run your 28-year-old quarterback like that, and he's not going to be in that physical condition where he can do that and be successful. So Lamar has about four years, and it's going to be interesting to see how he evolves as a passer in those four years. Just thought I wanted to broach that theory out for you. Now I want to get into this. So, and this is very frustrating as a sports fan. And, and I've decided to do this. I'm going to nickname the NBA dumb and the MLB dumb, right? I don't understand why there's talks in both leagues about them not playing. I can't rationalize it in my head. I think it's idiotic and I think it's stupid for, for a multitude of reasons. And, and first, I'm going to start with the MLB, that the owners and the players can't get it together. For the life of me, I don't understand. They're letting their season wither away into, into the dust, and it, and it's and it's sad. It's sad. They could potentially have a World Series matchup where it features the Yankees and the Dodgers, right? The Dodgers just got Mookie Betts. You have the Yankees. They have Aaron Judge. They have Giancarlo Stanton. And you could have this, and this would be one of the greatest World Series for baseball in terms of ratings, and it would provide a national following, right? You have Coast versus Coast, New York versus L.A. It would be awesome, and it would be exciting. Yet... They're wasting it because they're twiddling their thumbs, arguing with each other, and it's billionaires over millionaires. And at the end of the day, they're all going to look around and they're going to be like, everybody left baseball and they're going to be like, what happened? What happened? And then you get to the NBA and there have been people like Kyrie and Dwight Howard that have said they don't want to play for social injustice reasons, even though they haven't stated how they're going to combat social injustice issues, which I think is quite funny. And then, you know, there's some players that talk about they don't want to play because of Corona. And then then I just want to also give the NBA a message. While the NBA is not in the situation baseball is, the NBA isn't galaxies ahead of baseball. And And I want everybody to realize this. If there is no NBA season, that is a problem, right? And when, I think sometimes players get, they overestimate their power, right? And, you know, they're making money. They want all these concessions. They want people to realize their plight and what they're talking about. But here's at the end of the day. You want to know who truly matters for its fans. It's the people who watch the games on TV, and it's the people that buy the tickets. Those are the people that matter because those are the people that are paying your salaries. The owners, the GMs, and, and, the, and the players. That's what they all need to realize. And, and the commissioner. You make all your money because of the fans. That is why you make your money. That is why you are rich. It's because of the fans. Everybody's like, oh, it's no, because the owner paid me. No, it's because of the fans. And for guys like Kyrie and Dwight Howard to somehow think if they don't play or if players in the NBA don't play, that that somehow is going to make fans see their plight about social justice. To me, that's idiotic. You know what fans are going to do? It's called adapt and survive. They're going to watch something else to entertain them. That's what they're going to do. There's Hulu. There's Netflix. There's a bunch of stuff to do in the world today to entertain yourself. And then the craziest thing about both leagues is the fact that they have the audacity to think that they could not play and that fans will come back and watch them. The most popular sport in America is football. It's the NFL and it's not close. The second most popular sport in America, it's not the NBA. It's college football. 
That's what people truly care about in America. Basketball is global. The NBA is global. Baseball is global. The NFL, college football, it's not global. But people in America really consume it. And they consume a hell of a lot of it. And for you to think that, hey, we're not playing, so all the fans are going to be like, huh, let me think about what Kyrie's thinking. No. They're just going to watch another sport. There's soccer. There's UFC. There's boxing. Like I stated, the NFL, college football. People aren't just going to stop consuming content because you 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 guys decided you did not want to play. Like that it doesn't work that way. And if and Kyrie and Dwight Howard have made enough money that they will never have to work again their entire lives and their family will be set. So that's fine. But you need to look at the bigger picture and realize when you're talking about racial injustice, you're hurting a lot of African Americans that are gonna come up after you that play basketball. That's what you're really doing if you just decide we don't want to play and the league can't get started. Because trust me, you know what's going to happen if they do not play? They're going to lose billions of dollars. And the owners, they're going to want to renegotiate. And then the players aren't going to want to renegotiate it. And then it becomes kind of a crapping contest that the same that we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now where the owners and the players can't seem to comprehend it to get a deal done. Like people aren't going to sit there twiddling their thumbs. And you would think with Corona going on, what's going on in the country, that they would want to play because there's going to be more eyeballs on them. But no, they're like, no, let's not play. And, and, and here's the thing, what I'm going to say. If baseball and basketball players really think that they are so special that people in America will be like, okay, they're gone. And, and just come back w w when the players decide they want to come back, right? And it all, it's all going to work out fine. Everybody's going to make the same money that they did before. They're wrong. It doesn't work that way. You don't start a business that people get used to in a cycle, and then you get rid of it and deprive it from them and think that they're going to come back to it in the same droves. That's not how it works. You keep the ball rolling. It's how you build interest. It's how you build history. I, I, it's, it's crazy to me that they don't realize that. And it's also crazy to me that the people that are suggesting this is Dwight Howard, who's considered one of the clowns of the NBA, and Kyrie Irving, who said publicly that the earth was flat. And these are the people thinking that they're the ones that are going to be the ones that change the world, right? This is LeBron speaking. This isn't Chris Paul speaking. This isn't somebody that when I listen to them talk, I'm like, man, this person is really going to change the world with the way they talk and the way they think. No, no. So the MLB is, the NBA is dumb, right? They're dumb. The MLB is dumber. I don't know what the hell the MLB is doing because the M MLB, if they don't come back, they're in way worse shape than the NBA is. So both of these leagues need to realize, sometimes in life you need to realize what you are. The MLB is a five. The NBA is a seven. The NFL is a 10. College football is a nine. That's just the way the world works. Some people are attractive, some people are unattractive. That's just the way the world works. You have to realize what you are. You have to realize what you are and what and what people are willing to consume for you and what will, people are willing to take from you. you. You have to realize that. And it seems that both of those leagues don't realize that. And then the craziest thing about this is, as much as people want to criticize Roger Cadell, if you told Roger Cadell that all I have to do is to make my players happy is to kneel, while 
the MLB and the NBA could potentially just not play, Roger Goodell would kneel every single time. Because you know what's going to happen? If the MLB, if the NBA and the MLB, they don't play, more people are going to watch the NFL. More people are going to watch the NFL. Like, do they not really? Like, more people are going to watch the NFL. This works out great. If, I, if I'm in the league office in the NFL, I am sitting in my office laughing and like, look at those idiots. <laughs> look at them. How about get rid of baseball? Get rid of basketball. That's less competition for us. That's less competition for us. Because you know what? You know what more people are going to do in the NFL offseason? Talk offseason football on national TV. Instead of talking about the NBA season. Instead of talking about baseball, if they so happen to want to talk about it. You know who it helps out if the NBA and the MLB don't play? It helps out hockey. Like, do, do they not realize this? What's going on? To me, it's crazy. It's nonsensical. And it doesn't make any sense. Now, I'm sorry I had to do that rant for you. Now, come up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have... Jeff Magliocchetti on the show. Like I said, he covers the New York Jets for Elite Sports New York. Like I said, we're going to have Jeff on the show kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Jeff Magliocchetti. He covers the New York Jets for Elite Sports New York. How you doing, Jeff? Hey, Daryl. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Now, the first question I want to ask you is, this is an interesting time in the AFC East in general for all the teams not named the Patriots, with Tom Brady being finally out of the division. I just want to know, what is kind of the feeling now with kind of that huge Goliath out of the way in Brady and the chances of the Jets potentially trying to make a run and kind of go atop the AFC East. Yeah, this is such an interesting time in the AFC East. You're absolutely right because it was the past couple seasons were all about who would be in the best position to take over in the post-Brady era over in New England. But here's the thing. I just want to say the Jets' New England nightmare, heck, everyone's New England nightmare, I wouldn't call it exactly over just yet because we have been again that the Patriots are more than just Brady, and that's not meant to be a knock on Tom. I mean, you know, he on he obviously made so many guys much better players over there in New England. So whoever walks into the quarterback situation over there, be it Jared Stidham or otherwise, they walk into a very good situation where New England has some strong, strong defenders, some strong receivers some excellent blocking, and a strong run game. So I think that, you know, we can't count out the Patriots just yet. But in terms of that, I think right now in the AFC, Buffalo has done a very solid job of, you know, building for the post-Brady era. But I can't take the Bills seriously until they defeat New England in a big game. Look, it's great and all that the Bills were able to play New England very close twice. That game last year, I believe it was a uh, Saturday night game, as a matter of fact, was very well played on there and and almost could have been a changing of the guard. But until the Bills actually beat the Patriots, I can't take their potential new rival rivalry with them seriously. But as for the Jets, this is an interesting year because normally when you bestow so many one year deals, it's a sign that you are, you know, close to a Super Bowl and whatnot. 
And you look at the 14 contracts that Joe Douglas bestows players this offseason. Of those contracts, all the three of them were for one year. And of those three, only one of those is guaranteed for two years. That being the addition of Connor McGovern, who and all the others have a potential are either one year or have a potential out after one year. But here's the thing for the Jets right now. They're not close to a Super Bowl just yet, but I think at the same time, this is going to be a crucial year for them in the sense that they're going to, you know, hold de facto auditions as if to see who gets to stay for the good times next year when they can truly contend in the AFC, I believe. Because, you know, I just think at this point there's too many established, quote-unquote, established contenders in the AFC. The AFC East is going to be a log jam potentially with New England, Buffalo, and heck, Miami got better too. And you look at the rest of the conference too, there's a lot of competition there. People are saying that the Denver Broncos are going to be a lot better. Some people have their eyes on the LA Chargers too. You also take a look at the AFC South, whoever whoever loses out on the divisional title there, be it between the Texans or the Titans, even some talking about the Indianapolis Colts. And you look at the North, the Steelers are going to be back. And some have high hopes for the Cleveland Browns as well this season with, 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 with many hoping that Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. can finally fulfill their potential. So I think asking them to make the playoffs is going to be a bit much to ask this year. But at the same time, this is a very important year on the Jets' timeline because they're holding de facto auditions for the future. With these one-year contracts that Joe Douglas has bestowed, he's basically sending a message to these guys. You want to be here for the good time? Prove it. Now, what I would ask you is this is, so you're, the way you've made it sound to me is you kind of have, the, you have the Patriots still, would you favor the Patriots still in the AFC East? Like, what's your AFC East rankings if you're to rank every team one through four? Oh, boy, that's a tough question. You know, I always tried to hold my, uh, and my football predictions until both the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup have been completed, but I think that, uh, I think I'll have to make an adjustment on that this year, but, you know, so much can change with in terms of that. I think at least at this moment, I'm willing to pick both New England and Buffalo as playoff teams. Look, I need to see, I won't believe the demise of the New England Patriots until I see it with my own eyes. And I, re- I really think that last year, last year was a disappointment for sure. But we saw that New England was far more than just Brady. Could give you some stats about Tom Brady and how, not, I don't want to say little, just saying how little. Brady would be in terms of New England. That would be an insult to Brady, and I don't want to. I certainly don't want to insult him by any stretch of the imagination, because what he's been able to do has been unprecedented in this day and age, especially in the salary cap era. Here's some interest. Here's a stat I wanted to bring up about the Patriots. The Patriots were 12 and nine over the past two seasons. I have to go back a little bit to see how far it is. The Patriots were 12 and nine when Brady had a passer rating less than 90. I believe this goes back about three or four years. So New England is 12-9 and nine when Brady had a passer rating less than 90. So I need to see the demise of New England Patriots with my own eyes before truly counting them out. So As for the rest of the division, I think that Buffalo is going to be a very much in the wild card slot. And I think the Jets and the Dolphins, I think they will surprise a few people this year. You know, they'll be one, when we're having this conversation in 2021, people will be saying, people will be pegging the Jets and Dolphins in the slot they're putting, say, the Denver Broncos right now. So I think, you know, I think at this moment, you ask me, at this moment, June 15th, who's going to win the AFCs? I think right now, I'm still picking the New England Patriots, Buffalo number two and toss up between the Jets three, Jets and Dolphins at three and four. 
So what's with your lack of faith in Buffalo? Because a lot of people have been talking about Buffalo was the clear team to be able to challenge the Patriots. Uh, you know, they add Stephon Diggs, and they're building a good program there in, uh, in Western New York. So wh- why do you not trust the Bills? Oh, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not doubting what the Bills have done by any stretch of the imagination. I think that it's very good to see that the Bills finally out of, you know, their football purgatory for so long. They were having they had that playoff draft that lasted nearly two decades. And I think it's really good what the Bills have been able to do. It's just right now I need to see the Bills you know, take down New England to fully, you know, cement this new phase. Of Buffalo football, you want to beat. You want to beat the Patriots. You got to beat. You want to beat the Patriots. You have to beat with a T the Patriots. And I think that you know, you look at Buffalo's schedule last year. I'm never going to hold a team's schedule against them by any stretch of the imagination. Because look, it's like Parcel. It's like Bill Parcel said. You are what your record is. And if there's any team that has you know really benefited by doing the little things extraordinarily well, it's New England Patriots. It's the New England Patriots who have easily taken advantage of the AFC East for years. And, you know, you want to say, like, you know, they played in the league division. Look, if you're, say, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Baltimore Ravens, you should be beating up yearly on the Browns and Bengals. But at the same time, you don't see any of them establishing a dynasty. You look at Buffalo's schedule and look, I know, like I said, they play the Patriots close, but I need to see them beat them. I need to see them beat the Patriots because, you know, it's great. It's great you played the Patriots close, but that's no longer acceptable in this day and age. And you look at some of their better wins, you know, they do have some, they did have that impressive Sunday night win against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, you know, you look elsewhere and, you know, they had a win over the Titans in October before before Tennessee really hit their stride. They had that Thanksgiving win over the Cowboys. When those are your top wins, like if we were doing a, college football playoff-style poll in terms of ranking the playoff teams from last year, in terms of ranking all the playoff teams, Buffalo would probably be that mid-major team, like a Boise State or whatnot, or Western Michigan, that sort of thing, that cut, that rises up. Central Florida was the one, too, that people kept on bringing up, that comes up and really starts to uh, you know make some noise a little bit. But you have to give them but you have to look at them a bit quizzical because of their strength of schedule. So I don't get me wrong. I do think the Bills are a playoff team. I think it's a really good thing they have going over there. And those fans, too. I mean, you want to talk about loyalty. Those fans had to deal with some awful football for nearly two decades. And even even during the good times, they had to deal with a massive heartbreak. You know, we've talked, we talked en masse about, you know, Norwood, the Music City Miracle, Doug, uh, Rob Johnson over Doug Flutie, etc. So they have had to deal with a lot of football malarkey for the past two decades. And past three decades, technically. I mean, geez, oh my God, the 90s were three decades ago. My goodness, I feel old. But <laughs> I think that, um, I think that, you know, once again, once I see them actually take down the Belichick behemoth that has been going on in Foxborough since the turn of the decade, that is when I will truly start to believe in the Buffalo Bills, and that is when they will truly become contenders in my eyes. Now, how about we do this, right? Because in the AFC East, all the teams are going to be starting young quarterbacks, right? The Patriots are going to have Jared Stidham. The Bills are going to have Josh Allen. The Jets are going to have Sam Darnold, and the Dolphins are going to have two attack Valoa. So can you rank those four quarterbacks in order? Oh, yeah. uh, Again, a little unfair so far. It's a little unfair to rank uh, Tago Valoa and 
Stidham because Stidham's only action was actually there for week three against the Jets last year. He threw a pick six to Jamal Adams, and Belichick quickly removed him from the game. So I think for now I want to abstain from ranking Taco Valoa and Stidham considering they haven't played a meaningful down just yet. So in terms of right now, so that so that lowers the debate right now to Josh, between Josh Allen and Sam Darnold. And I think between the two right now, Darnold is the better quarterback because here's the thing about Sam Darnold. He has been able to show us these, these flashes of brilliance because think back to the end of his rookie year in 2018 because there was that four-game stretch. You know, he came back from injury. There was that four-game stretch where he led the come-from-behind victory over Buffalo, the first meeting he had with Josh Allen, led the come-from-behind victory there, and then couldn't pull off the wins, but he did go toe-to-toe, head-for-head, blow-for-blow with Deshaun Watson in a Saturday night game against the Texans, and then Aaron Rodgers in a game against the Packers in the Jets' home finale in the, penul- in the penultimate week of the season. And then you look at last year, Darnold, once again, you know, he had some bad luck. I never hold injuries against a guy. And to hold- and we've seen enough, you know, sophomore immature jokes about the mon- mononucleosis, that- mononucleosis diagnosis. And, you know, it's tired at this point if, if you're Sam Darnold. And I can- and- but you know what? At the same time, he has been able to show these flashes of brilliance with not so much of a supporting cast around him. I mean, look at that game last year against the Dallas Cowboys when Darnold came back and did fairly well for himself and in a game the Jets won and kind of allowed them 24-22 and allowed them to get their season back on track a little bit. And most of the time, poor Sam has been running for his life in these instances and has you know had some major trouble doing it. But the fact he's been able to show these flashes of brilliance in such dire situations, such dire situations where, you know, the the entire receiving course from his rookie year is gone. Top receiver he has back from that year is the tight end, Chris Herndon, who only had a catch for two yards last season because in a year that was dampered by injuries and a suspension. So I think that Darnold has been able to do plenty with so little he has been afforded. And now that the Jets have decided to bolster their offensive line a bit, they missed out on some of the top guys they wanted, but they did manage to bring in some very solid consolation prizes, in my opinion. And they also have been able to start to re-bolster the receiver game in the form of Brashad Perriman. Again, they missed out on the top of veteran target and Amari Cooper. And, and But they brought in Brashad Perriman. Jamison Crowder is going to be another thre- going to be a threat in the slot for another season. And they also have big play potential in Denzel Mims because you look at the guys who have been drafted in the second round recently in the receiver game over the past couple of years, there are some perfect franchise receivers found there. There are guys like Juju Smith-Schuster, Michael Thomas, Cooper Cup, etc. So I think that you know Denzel Mims has the potential to become a big play receiver for the Jets. So based on what they've been able to do, I think Allen has had a better supporting cast around him in Buffalo. Based on what they've been able to do, I think that Darnold right now is the better quarterback at this moment. How close do you think it is between them? Say again? How close do you think it is between Darnold and uh, Allen? Oh, I certainly think it's a lot closer than people think. Because the one thing I've noticed about the Darnold and Allen debate is that it is filled to the brim with extremists. And, you know, the, the, those who think Allen is the better quarterback seem to think nothing of Darnold. And those who think that Darnold's the better quarterback seems to think nothing of Allen. And both of these quarterbacks bring their strength to the table. And because Allen certainly brings the mobile threat to the to his game as 
game against uh, Pittsburgh last year, that Sunday nighter, that more or less eliminated, eliminated the Steelers from contention and solidified Buffalo's own playoff positioning. And, you know, he really took over the first half of that game against the Texans in the wild card round last season before fading in the second half. So I think that both of them served certainly bring their talent to the table, but based on what they've been able to do with the proper supporting cats around them, I think Darnold is a better guy right now, but it's very, very close. It certainly can change week to week throughout the season. There were times last year I saw what Allen was able to do with the Bills, and I was like, wow, that's impressive. I, that's, a, that's a good job by Josh right there, because, you know, I was a bit skeptical of Allen, you know, because the biggest game he ever won in college was, you know, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, so... I, I was thinking to myself, oh, man, is Buffalo going to make a mistake right here? And, and don't get me wrong, that's not meant to be a knock on mid-major quarterbacks. I just, I was just thinking that every big game that Allen ever truly had, you know, he would seem to disappear and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, he's been able to do a good job so far. And it could change week to week, but at this moment, again, we're talking mid-June right now. I think Darnold is a better quarterback, especially with the things he has been able to accomplish with such a makeshift supporting cast around him. Now, who's the better quarterback between Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones? Ooh, oh, man, that's another tough debate. I think right now, when, I, I think, uh, again, a little too early to tell, but right now I do, I do think it's going to be uh, – Darnold, because I'm, I want to see what Daniel Jones can do with a full season without Eli Manning breathing down his back. And I know that once Jones fully took over, that you know he never truly lost it. He only lost it due to injury during that one game against Miami. But at the same time, you know there was always that looming presence of Eli Manning back there, and you have to wonder if that played, if that toyed with his emotions in the rookie season. And Jones is another guy who really did a lot with a little. Over, over with the Giants. And, you know, they went head-to-head last year. Darnold got the better of him in that game. Jones, I think, right now really needs to work on cutting down turnovers. But again, he's just a rookie. There's certainly plenty of time for him to dispel those notions, dispel those notions that he was a bust, that he was a reach when the Giants picked him so high. So I'm eager to see what goes down with it. Right now, I say Darnold, but I'm very, I'm open to hearing an opinion change. I'm eager to see what Daniel Jones can do in year two with, you know, a new staff around him, a new supporting cast around him, and once again, the threat of Eli Manning breathing down his back for one final farewell tour officially gone. And I do want to ask you this, because it sounds like the way you're saying is, right, so you think Donald's better than Allen. You think Donald's better than Daniel Jones. So would you kind of, if we're doing tiers right now, would you say that Sam Donald is the best young quarterback not named Mahomes, Watson, and uh, Baker? Probably after that tier, he's probably the next guy in Lamar. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I certainly would not label Donald a tier one quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. And, and I'm talking yeah. about the young guys, the young guys. What's that again? The young guys, the tiers out of the younger guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he is mid-tier in terms of young guys. But I think those those stats have to be looked upon with a bit of a microscope because, once again, those guys are in better situation or have had are in better situations because you know, like right now, I think there is an opportunity. I think I would, for example, take Baker Mayfield over Darnold right now because you know Mayfield has had to deal with you know not just the 
not just the stigma of, of you know, playing in Cleveland. He's had to deal with some crazy situations over there. I mean, in terms of the attitude, Darnold will, Darnold will definitely have an advantage, but I think that because, you know, Mayfield, he's, a, he, he's been known to uh, generate some controversy. We saw that all last season. And I think that, you know, but right now, you look what they've done. Head-to-head, I mean, Mayfield has 2 two nothing advantage. His first win came against the Jets' net epic Thursday night thriller that allowed the Bud Light bridges to be opened all over Cleveland. So <laughs> I think, you know, there are guys, I think there are guys who right now I would definitely purely label over Darnold. Like guys like Lamar Jackson and guys like Mahomes, obviously, I th- I would take them, I would take them 100%. I think the better comparison right now for, uh, and obviously, you know, you, I would obviously take Darnold over uh, Josh Rosen as well, although I still think, it, I'm, st- I still, I'm still open to change on Rosen and his prospects at this point. But, you know, Darnold, there are, ch- there are cases too where, you know, sometimes he disappears in the spotlight. And there, for every flash of brilliance we've seen, there are games like the one we saw against New England where he was seeing ghosts and he threw four interceptions and only completed 11 passes. So I would rank him, you know, mid-tier on the younger guys right now because there are certain skills that guys like Mahomes, that guys like Lamar Jackson bring to the table that Darnold doesn't necessarily have yet. Whether that's the, whether that's the case of, you know, not having, once again, a great supporting cast, not having an offensive line, for example. Like, you want to go back to, you want to go back to October. He got sacked eight times alone in a loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I think that... We're going to learn a bit more about Darnold this year. I would hesitate to call this a make-or-break season with him. seems like we heard that forever when it came to Ryan Tannehill in an Adam Gase system, but I would hesitate to call this a make-or-break season for him, but it's certainly a monumental occasion to see what he can do with at least a bolstered offensive line. I think maybe next year we can start to talk about make-or-break territory once he gains some familiarity with both his new receivers and his new blockers. Now, you make the case, and you talked about this, right, about the seeing ghost incidents. I, I want to know what you thought about that, because there was a lot of controversy at the time about should ESPN, because I believe it was the Monday Night Football game, ESPN kind of aired that. What, what did you think of that? I, I, I mean, that's just that, that, that was a raw deal from Darnold on, on ESPN. And, you know, we were talking about before how, you know, we, we saw all kinds of immature and sophomore jokes. We're hearing them to this day about Darnold getting diagnosed with mononucleosis. And, you know, there, I think there, there is a stigma towards the New York Jets for sure. And, you know, of course, of course some of it is self-built. Some, sometimes the Jets have, have delved into some, into some mistakes, some calamities that are of their own doing. But you couldn't blame the Jets for that one. That was more of an ESPN case. And Darnold had every right to say that. I mean, you know, he was, ha- he had, he was having a tough game. And he was going up against a very, very dangerous New England defense, which again makes it very hard for me to discount the Patriots' chances of winning the division this season so, uh, with a good number of those guys coming back. So I think that you know that was more that wasn't really Darnold's fault per se. That was more you know that, that was more of him getting a raw deal by ESPN and uh, and their cameras more than anything. Now, what I do want to ask you, I want to ask you about Adam Gase because there's a lot of talk about Adam Gase. Some people like him, some people hate him. Uh, some people say he's difficult to deal with. Some people say he only has a job because he was he worked with Peyton Manning. Uh, he was an OC there for a while in Denver. So what are your thoughts on Adam Gase? I mean, here's the thing about Adam Gase. He's interesting because, yes, a good portion of his success has come from Peyton Manning. And I think, well, well you could, I think you could certainly make the case that for several coaches, as a matter of fact, you know, throughout this league. I mean, Peyton Manning has 
made more careers on and on the field, on the field and on the sidelines than he has for a while. Like for like for example, I think uh, Jim I think Jim Caldwell, for example, was something along the lines of twenty and sixty eight, something along those lines, without Peyton Manning as a starting quarterback during his years at you know Vanderbilt and later with the Detroit Lions and. You, you want to talk about you want to talk about on the field too. I mean, Brent Stokely, that guy's career was extended by extended by five or six years, perhaps alone playing with Peyton Manning as one of his favorite receivers. So, in terms of Gates, you know, we have seen the occasional the occasional once again flash of brilliance from Adam Gates because remember he was the guy that got the Miami Dolphins to the playoffs in 2016. And, you know, he did so actually with a backup quarterback. Remember, in the final stages of that season, he had to do so with Matt Moore and got Miami to the playoffs at the time. So I think there is, to say that Adam Gates is solely built on Peyton Manning endeavors, I think is a bit immature and a bit bit unfair to him. Now, he has developed a reputation, I'm not going to, I won't deny it for a second, of being a bit confrontational and being a bit short with people and, you know, whether and this could end up being perhaps a make or break year for him. It's more of a make or break year for Adam Gase, I feel, than it is for Sam Darnold because you know we've seen fuses and I'm trying to think of the right word here. Patience has worn more and more thin in today's NFL. I mean, you look at what the New York Giants, what just happened with the New York Giants. Pat Shermer got two years and he was given the boot. We you look at Arizona, poor Steve Wilkes got only one year before he was given the boot, and they brought in Cliff Kingsbury, and they brought in Cliff Kingsbury, and they and they changed the entire uh, direction of the franchise by letting Josh Rosen go and bringing in Kyler Murray. So I think that. You know, attention, uh, patience, and fuses are shorter than before in the NFL, and this is this is why it's going to be so important for Adam Gates. Because remember, he's t- he's technically not a Joe Douglas guy, as Douglas w- as Douglas was hired after him. He is one of the final remnants of the Mike McCagnan era, and one of Douglas's first moves, in a way, was almost to start eradicating the franchise of some of. Mike McCagnan's mistakes, like for example, Tremaine Johnson is long, no longer there. There's several other guys who, who aren't there anymore. So I think that this is more of a make-or-break year for Adam Gase than it is for Sam Darnold by every stretch of the imagination. Now I believe there were reports at one point that him and he didn't really want Le'Veon Bell there, and they were trying to trade Le'Veon. How, how much credence is there to that? I wouldn't say there's too much to that. I mean, you know, I'm sure I'm sure the Jets were thinking. I'm sure the idea of a fire sale was in the Jets' mind when they started off so poorly last season. I'm sure it was up there, but you know, from what I could tell, there there weren't uh, there weren't too many. There wasn't too much tension between Le'Veon and Gates. I mean, they they, they seemed to they seemed to complement each other a little bit, and you know. I think Le'Veon's case was more that the Jets needed to work on their offensive line. Once again, he's someone else that's going to be, that's going to benefit from the Jets shopping spree on the offensive line this season. And you know, he is the type of guy he's giving the Jets. Oh, excuse me. The Jets. He's giving the Jets the rare luxury of having not one but two backfield saviors that could play a threat in this organization for years to come. And Gates. It appears he is not one—I will say this about Gacy—he appears to be one of the types that believes you probably shouldn't spend so much on a running back. Remember, the Jets bestowed Bell a contract of four years, $52.5 million, and 
Gates was the type of guy that got by with a lot of help from, you know, unsung heroes at the running back side. I think Kenyon Drake began to uh, emerge as a threat during his time. And, uh, you know, he got, a, he, he got a lot out of a little over with the Miami Dolphins. So while I think Gates is, you know, a bit reluctant to spend so much on running backs, I think that, I, I, I think that, you know, ideas that he and Le'Veon Bell weren't truly argue, were truly arguing were a bit blown out of proportion, and I think that they can survive, especially with this new blocking game going on. And I also do want to ask you about Jamal Adams, because he mentioned on, uh, I think it was either Twitter or Instagram with uh, Miles Garrett's going to be getting a new contract yes. soon, and, he, and Jamal Adams like, where's my money? <laughs> yeah. How is that situation going? Because this isn't the first time that Jamal Adams has mentioned uh, kind of had issues with the Jets brass. I remember he was a little uh, upset, right, perturbed, that, that his name was mentioned in trade rumors. He's like, you know, the New England Patriots don't mention trading Tom Brady. So what is the relationship like with Jamal Adams and the Jets at this moment? Yeah, I was a little surprised to see Adams' comment on the Miles Garrett situation because Adams, for the most part, has been a bit reserved during this process. And, you know, I can sit... I, I know. I, I, maybe it's a, it was a stretch for Adams to compare himself to Tom Brady's status in New England, but at the same time, I see where he was coming from in the sense that Jamal Adams has been one of the brightest bastions of hope the New York Jets have had in a long, long time. Because you know they're working on a playoff drought that's nearing a decade, and Jamal Adams had the opportunity to not only become the face of Green New York football, but the face of Metropolitan football as a whole here. Because you know. I think that what that says was solidified as a Pro Bowl a couple of years back. You know, he was one of the few players to take the event seriously. We saw the video play en masse of him tackling Pack Patriot, the Patriots of New England mascot out there. And then he went on to win the game's MVP award alongside Patrick Mahomes. So it was a nice little changing of the guard for New York football in a way. And it was a sign that Adams could be the long savior that Jets fans have been waiting for. Because... You know, the Jets have been a team that has truly thrived on defensive exploits. I mean, that's how they won their first Super Bowl back in Super Bowl three. They totally stifled the Baltimore Colts offense that featured Johnny Unitas and Earl Morrill. And I think that, you know, you, you wander the holes of one Jets drive, you see all just just the likenesses of so many defensive greats all over the world. Guys, guys from the New York Sack Exchange, you know, Darrell Revis is certainly another popular option. And Jamal Adams can be that that guy to lead the Jets from this franchise. And personally, I think a deal is going to get done between these two. And the way I see it, the Jets basically need to sit Jamal down and almost say, this is in my opinion anyway, giving Jamal Adams a long-term deal, at least immediately, would almost defeat the purpose of this offseason in my opinion. And the purpose of this offseason, it goes back to what we were talking about at the start of this conversation. We talked about how, you know, Joe Douglas bestowed 14 contracts to this team and all but one of them, uh, all but one of them is only guaranteed for a year. I think that the Jets are simply looking to build, build right now, build a team of guys to, you know, ensure that they can start playing, you know, meaningful defensive games in December again and they can, you know, see who gets to stick around for the long term. Once the Jets have a clear sense of who they are and what they look like further in the long term, then you can start talking to Jamal Adams. And I know he expressed some frustration that, you know, he 
said that you know the deal would be done in January. He expressed expressed frustration that he hasn't gotten that long term deal yet. But I think the Jets need to sit down a little bit and basically say that a long term deal at this moment defeats the purpose of this offseason. They should sit down, settle their dif- settle their differences, and mutually agree to perhaps curb the conversation until the Jets have a better idea of their identity. If they do, it seems like Jamal Adams is a little antsy right now because of all this. So, do you think that will work? I think it could potentially. I think it could potentially work. You know, as long as they sit down, as long as the communication is clear, communication is going to be the key moving forward. And I think that you know, if they were to do that, it would work. And I've certainly not been. I certainly hate to be one of these people. I think. I, I think Jamal has. I think Jamal does love it here in New York. I don't want to be one of these people, but you know. You look at his Instagram, he was working out in Jets gear. He posted a photo of himself recently in his Jets jersey uh, from a game earlier last season. So I think that Jamal does want to be here. And I think Jamal you know, wants to be that face of New York football. He wants his own city, especially the city seen as, you know, the city, the media market in America. So I think that this situation will work itself out sooner or later. Sooner or later, I just don't think you should expect anything immediately. So the Jets also they draft uh, tackle Makai Becton out of Louisville. I just want to know how you think that's going to help Sam Darnold and how good you think he can be. No, it certainly will help Sam Darnold out. And you know, either way, Joe Douglas was trapped in a situation in the draft. I felt anyway, he was trapped in a situation where you know he what he couldn't win. Either way, because if you draft the lineman, then the receiver crowd goes, oh, you should have drafted the receiver. Then you draft the receiver, people go, oh, we still need blocking, oh, we still need blocking help. So I think Jim Douglas made the most of a of what could have very well been a lose-lose situation. But he was able to satisfy both camps in a way by drafting both Becton and Mims the next day. So I think that Becton is going to play a major role in this franchise by simply being an absolute behemoth. And, you know, we talked about, you know, going back to the Patriots discussion, we talked about how New England has a tremendous pass rush. And you look at Darnold running around there, he has been running for his life the second he got to New York. And that that eight-sack game against Jacksonville is basically a microcosm of what he's had to deal with during his time in New York. So I think Becky was the right pick to make right there. He has the size. He has the strength. He has the legacy. His uh, father actually was, I believe, played arena football for a while. So I think that, you know, this was the pick the Jets had to make right now, and it just continues their offensive makeover, especially on the line that's going to help Darnold and Le'Veon Bell in the long, in the long-term future. Okay, so Jeff, this is my last question for you. Tell me who the real New York team is. So I'm going to give you three choices. You have the Bills, you have the Jets, and you have the Giants. List them one through three. Oh, jeez. Well, I might ruffle some feathers with this one, but um, technically only one of them, I mean, geographically speaking, only one of them is the New York team, per se, with the Buffalo Bills. But I think of those right now, Buffalo would have the advantage at this point, if only because they're the team with the brightest immediate future at this point. And Buffalo also did a great job. I mean, the best thing that franchise could have done was win their was win, win their first two games, both of which took place at MetLife Stadium. They 
came back on the Jets in that week one game and then relatively dominated the Giants in week two. You know, that game was 28-14 final, but that game was really never close between those two teams. So that was the best thing the Bills could have done. And I wrote recently on EliteSportsNY.com, I wrote recently that, you know, Jets-Bills has such amazing potential to become the next big rivalry in the NFL. They got two guaranteed matchups coming up. A battle of a battle of quarterbacks are drafted within minutes of each other in the same draft. They have this whole New York thing, and I think one of the I think one of the things that could truly play up to that rivalry is if they take care of business, you know, by beating the Patriots, beating the Dolphins, and whatnot, taking care of business on their on the rest of their schedule. And I think that the biggest thing they could do is truly is, is if they truly start to play up that New York rivalry. And we saw it on Bill's social media. We've seen Bill's mafia, you know, make that point. We're in New York. And Buffalo is easily the team with the brightest immediate future right now. So of those, of those it's got to be the Bills of those three who are, quote-unquote, New York's team right now. Let's call it, let's, let, let's be fair, let's call it the metropolitan area's team right now. And Buffalo, I think, is that squad for, for, for the time being. But the Jets do have an opportunity to take away. Jeff, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Keep up the great work. We'd love to do this again. Thanks for having me. This is great. And again, I want to thank Jeff for coming on the podcast. Now, cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. I'm going to explain where Colin Kaepernick fits into the quarterback hierarchy in the NFL right now. Cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. And once again, I want to thank Jeff Macliochetti for coming on the podcast and breaking down some knowledge. I enjoyed talking about the Jets with him. Hit on a little bit of the Bills. Why he's a little skeptical about the Bills. I thought that was interesting. And uh, overall, just enjoyed the conversation. Hope definitely hope to definitely have him on the podcast again. And I really appreciate him coming on. Now, here's what I want to talk about. So there's been a lot of Colin Kaepernick talk recently about what's been going on in the country and you have guys like Roger Goodell who have said who recently came out and said that he hopes an NFL team signs him. Now here's what I want to explain to people when it comes to the whole Colin Kaepernick thing and where Colin Kaepernick actually fits in the quarterback hierarchy right now and I think this is interesting and I think it's important because I think people need to know. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you quarterbacks that are and I'm just going to do this this is mainly for the starters. And maybe next podcast or next week I can dive into backups in the NFL because I think that will help make this a little bit more clearer. But for right now, I'm just going to go starters and a little bit more after that. But here's what I'm going to do. So here are quarterbacks that Colin Kaepernick is in no is, is not better than. Like, he's just not better than these guys. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady... Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees. Now, after that, those are 10 guys that he is not better than. Then there's a list of guys that I would say at his at their peaks have played at a level that Colin Kaepernick has played at his peak, right? And those quarterbacks are 
Jimmy Garoppolo, Ben Roethlisberger, Derek Carr, Ryan Tannehill, Matt Stafford, Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins. So you can't justify bringing him in over any of those guys, in my opinion. Just because I, I don't think his play at any point merits him being better than those people, right? And these are 17 quarterbacks I have just named. So this is over half the league. Now we're going to get into the second class of quarterbacks. And these are the guys that Colin Kaepernick, at his peak at his best, was better than all of these people. Because most of these people have been in the league for only three to four years. And they really haven't accomplished anything. They've been on bad and lackluster teams. But here's the thing. All these young quarterbacks, their team has a vested interest in their success. They don't want to bring in Colin Kaepernick and have Colin Kaepernick overtake them because that's the point of you when you spend a high draft pick on a young quarterback. And here's this next tier of young quarterbacks. Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray, Tua Tagovailoa, Jared Stidham, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Mitch Trubisky, Gardner Minshew, Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins. Now, Kaepernick at his best was better than all of these people. But their organizations have a vested interest in seeing each of those guys succeed. Even Mitch Trubisky. As bad as Mitch Trubisky is, and I think the Bears are themselves are ready to pull the plug on Mitch Trubisky, but they brought in a guy in Nick Foles, and, well, Nick Foles won a Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP, won a little bit one step further than what Kaepernick did. So if you really want to argue that, that's that. I guess maybe you could argue Gardner Minshew. I think that the Jacksonville Jaguars, he did enough last year where the Jaguars kind of want to try it out for another year to see what he is as the guy. So we are at, not great at math, but we are at about 30 quarterbacks, right? 30 out of 32. We're about 30 quarterbacks right now. So these are 30 quarterbacks I've just edged out. Then there's two more. There's Phillip Rivers, who is old now and really wasn't that great last year for the Los Angeles Chargers. And there's Teddy Bridgewater, who was a backup last year and got signed by the Carolina Panthers. And here's what I would say about those two circumstances. The Indianapolis Colts, they brought in Phillip Rivers to compete with Jacoby Brissett who was a starter last year and didn't and is a good backup, but those guys are kind of what Indianapolis is looking for right now. So it doesn't necessarily make sense to throw Colin Kaepernick in the mix. It's kind of similar to how the Bears have handled Trubisky and now they brought in Nick Foles. You already have somebody else there, so it doesn't make sense to bring in a third. That's a little redundant. So then you get to Teddy Bridgewater. Now, at Teddy Bridgewater, Colin Kaepernick at his best was better than any point in Teddy Bridgewater's career, but... They decided to go with Teddy Bridgewater, and I think part of the reason why they're going with Teddy Bridgewater is I believe the Panthers are trying to tank so they can get Trevor Lawrence, and everybody knows what type of prospect people consider Trevor Lawrence to be. So I think that's the reason why they're doing that. So it doesn't make any sense for them to get Kaepernick. They're trying to tank. They're necessarily not trying to be successful. They're trying to lose games so Matt Rule and the new Panthers regime can get their quarterback of the future. So those are all 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Now... We can get into, there have been two starters this offseason that could have started, and those are Jameis Winston and Cam Newton. Jameis Winston ended up taking a backup role to the New Orleans Saints because he couldn't get a job, and Cam Newton is still posting workout videos on Twitter hoping people will uh, sign him. And, uh, and I think Cam Newton should be a starter in the league. By the way, Cam Newton came out in the same draft as, Cam, uh, as uh, Colin Kaepernick. So... If Kaepernick is going to be in the NFL, and he's good enough to be in the NFL, he's going to have to be a backup. He's going to have to be a backup. Based off of this landscape that I just named, he's going to have to be a backup. 
And does he want to be backup? Does he want to come back to be backup? I don't know. I can't tell what's in his head. So that's where I'm going to go in terms of the quarterback hierarchy and where Kaepernick fits into there. And I think maybe we could paint the picture a little bit better for everybody where he actually stands. Because people that say that Kaepernick is not good enough to play in the NFL, they're lying to you and they don't know anything about football. Even though he hasn't played four years in the NFL, he can be a backup for some team. But then again, that's the argument for Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is good enough to be on a 50-man roster in the NFL, but he's not. Part of that's because of his following, the whole Christianity. So there's a lot of reasons for why this stuff goes on. Now, I just want to paint that for all of you so all of you kind of understand. Because I think a lot of the times what happens or where people get confused about this, people say, he could definitely play in the league. He couldn't play in the league. But they don't list the names of where he truly fits in the hierarchy of everything when we take everything into perspective. So here's what I would say. Cam Newton is probably going to have to get signed first. Before, Cam Newton is going to have to get signed first before Colin Kaepernick gets signed first. And I think most people think that's reasonable. So we're just going to have to see how that works out. Now, while we have a little bit of time left, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Chubba Hubbard incident that kind of broke Twitter a couple days ago. So for all of you who don't know, star running back for Oklahoma State, uh, apparently Mike Gundy, the head coach, well, for sure we know this, he posted a uh, picture on uh, social media wearing a far-right cable network t-shirt that's called OAN. And then Chubba Harper says this is completely insensitive to everything going on in society and it's unacceptable. Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a huge political junkie. I don't watch a lot of politics. The only political networks I actually knew of before OAN were uh, Fox News, uh, CNN, and MSNBC. So uh, I'm shooting in the dark a little bit here. I didn't know about OAN. I looked up OAN briefly. It's not necessarily just a political network. They have an entertainment tab and they also have a sports tab. So here's what I'm going to say. And... Here's the thing I don't like about social media and Twitter. If Chubba Hubbard has an issue with Mike Gundy, what he posted, I don't understand why he can't call him and address it personally. He has his number, I, I would assume. And if he doesn't have his number, shame on Mike Gundy, and then maybe he deserves to be criticized on Twitter. But I'm going to give Mike Gundy enough respect to where his players can actually get a hold of him. Because that's kind of your point as a head coach. You need to be accessible else then Mike Gundy really probably shouldn't be the coach of Oklahoma State. So I'm going to assume that Chubba Hubbard has, can get a hold of Mike Gundy, also given that he's one of the best players on the team. If you have an issue, you can call him. You can text him. You can address it and have a conversation about it. I do not personally believe that blasting people on social media does anything but start a firestorm. And Mike Gundy apologized, but he didn't apologize necessarily because he changed his stance. He apologized because people were making fun of him and criticizing him on Twitter, and it's kind of the politically correct thing to do. So that doesn't really change anything. You just embarrass the guy. And I don't know if you want to go out of your way to embarrass your head coach. I don't, to me, that's not the way I would do it. And here's what I'm going to say. And I was looking at OAN. I'm trying to figure out what they actually do since he was so upset that he wore the shirt. I've heard stuff that maybe that they're not in support of Black Lives Matter and uh, a little bit more of a conservative uh, station. Uh, so maybe that's, I'm assuming that's his issue. But here's what I'm going to say. Uh, it is crazy. We live in a world now where based off of your political beliefs, your political beliefs, people are like, nah. I can't mess with you. And I personally, I'm just injecting myself, I don't agree with that. Uh, people in my life, friends, coworkers, classmates, teachers, I don't really ask about their political opinions. 
most of the time because I don't care. Uh, there's only probably a few people that I actually, that I know that I actually care about what they think politically. And most of the people I just named, friends, coworkers, classmates, teachers, I, I don't really care what they think about politically. And I also think, and Chubba Hubbard should probably realize this, that in the real world, you work with people who are Democrat, Republican, moderate, and come from all different walks of life. So, I, I mean, if you want to call out Mike Gundy on Twitter, you're probably going to have to be calling out a whole lot of people in your locker room. Because I guarantee you, Mike Gundy's not the only person. And how many people are on a football team? Like 50, 60 guys? He's not the only person that thinks that way. So you're going to have about 20, uh, a decent amount more people to call out. Because that's the way the world works. People have different life experience. They come from different backgrounds. And they think about things differently. And then I will say this. Trevor Hubbard, you're in college. The whole point of college is to have people to critically think and have and get in contact with people that are different from you. I've been in college. I've recently just graduated. Recently just graduated. That is the whole point to have intelligent, ethical discussions that can maybe get a little heated, that people can agree to disagree, but then you leave class and you're fine the next day. And, and then here's also what I want to say. I, I, I do think we're entering a very dangerous territory where you care what your coach's political opinions are. Because I, I will access Chuck Robert and I will say this. Did you not care about his political opinions when he walked in your mom and dad's house and said, hey, you want to play for Oklahoma State? Did you not care then? Like, you, you care now just because he posted a t-shirt? And he could have been wearing the t-shirt for a lot of different reasons. I don't specifically know. It could have been his son's t-shirt. It could have been he just thought it looks nice. It doesn't even necessarily mean that he endorses the network. And like I said, I looked on their online site. They have an entertainment and they have a sports tablet. Uh, I have a sports tab. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that he agrees with their political side. So I just want to put that out there. Let's not always have the Twitter mob and let's always just look at things. But again, I want to thank Jeff Magaliochetti for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Again, I hope everybody is staying safe, social distancing, not bringing home anything they shouldn't be bringing home. Uh, everybody is, if they're shooting the protest, protesting safely and not causing any trouble. And I hope everybody enjoyed this podcast. And again, I want to thank you for tuning in to the 170th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.